Hi. Welcome to Colonial Williamsburg, past and present, on history.org. This is behind the scenes, where you meet the people who work here. That's my job. I'm Lloyd Dobbins, and mostly I ask questions. Concealed beneath the geometric grid of Williamsburg streets is another town, the town that existed before Williamsburg became Virginia's capital. Traces of this early outpost are few, but a fresh approach to studying the artifacts sheds new light on Middle Plantation. Kelly Ladd Castro, who is the Associate Curator of Archaeological Collections, is with me today to talk about the ways that Colonial Williamsburg's archaeologists are piecing together the mystery of this phantom plantation. And the first question, I guess, is was it a phantom plantation or was it a town? I guess I would say it was neither, to be honest. Okay. It, it was... It was a large place, actually. It came into existence around 1632 as part of a 300,000 acres that were enclosed by palisade. And this palisade, the idea behind it was to help protect the people from what they viewed as a, as a potential source of problems through the indigenous peoples in the area. And it was really Virginia's first attempt at interior settlement. And it wasn't until the 1640s, 50s, and 60s to really start seeing large numbers of people coming into the area. And you have some big hitters like uh, John Page, who was a lawyer and a planter. You have Thomas Ludwell, who was the secretary of the colony. There were, there were some rather uh, big minds and individuals with a large amount of money coming into the area. Okay, you've obviously done enough research to know who was here. Mm-hmm. How big a place was it? Uh, it, I mean, it's enclosed, okay. Right. But was it, did you have, like, a general store or a tavern or a... We did. Oh. It's interesting you should ask that. We know for a fact that there were taverns and other establishments in the area. Uh, Bruton Parish came into being around that time as well, later into the 17th century. The college comes into existence in the late 17th century. We have maps to talk about road systems going from Jamestown into Middle Plantation. So there was definitely a great deal of activity taking place here. And all that would make you think, then, that there should be a large number of archaeological sites somewhere out there because there was so much activity taking place. Mm-hmm. Uh, and obviously there aren't, or you wouldn't have brought it up like well, that. Well, yeah, that's a very good point. How we, over the years of digging now for over 70-some years, have come across bits and pieces of the middle plantation. Okay, you brought a box of, uh, I, 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 I hope it is of bits and pieces. It is of bits and pieces, but the, uh, we have archaeological fragments that are bits and pieces, but we also have uh, architectural signatures in the ground, and by that I mean in the 18th century when we were digging, we oftentimes have found what people commonly think of in the Williamsburg area as being 18th century buildings, so brick structures. Mm-hmm. In the 17th century, you were more likely to come across what we describe as post and ground structures. And for some of the larger plantations, such as John Page and Ludwell and others, you did have brick as well, which was definitely a sign of wealth. So there is some evidence that way in the ground archaeologically from an architectural standpoint, but post and ground structures are very, very hard to find as a signature in the ground, and especially if you consider that you had a capital that came here basically and planted itself in 1699 on top of this area that had been known as Middle Plantation. So lots of construction, lots of activities for about 80 years. Then you have the 19th and 20th century, this kind of quiet little southern hamlet here of, of Williamsburg as a little city, as a little town. And then in the 1930s, you had the restoration start, which continues on 
today. That's a lot of impact to have on an area, an archaeological area, if you want to think of it that way, to try to find those signatures or to find any of the sites. So in fairly close prox uh, time proximity, you have two distinct types of area, one on top of the other. They're sandwiched. They're sandwiched on top of each other. You had the middle plantation, then you had the capital after 1699, then you had the town here in the, in the modern ages, if you will, and then you had the restoration that takes place, and then you have the day. So that's an awful lot to be moving around and jarring the earth and impact and things being stuck into the earth and moved out and new buildings over the years. So how do you find sites like that when they were made of structures that don't necessarily last, like wood, and planted into the ground? There were only a few that actually had the brick, and that's where the artifacts come into play. Uh, coast and ground, if I understand this correctly, the way you can determine that archaeologically is color. The color of Soil the dirt changes. changes. Right, right. Uh, well, if you've dug it up to build something new on it or to put a street across it, you aren't going to have any Precisely. Dirt. Precisely. So that's the very thing. If it's been obliterated by all the other activity that's taken place here over the years, which is understandably how it would happen, what else is there to help mm -hmm. you find it? Okay. What else is there to help you find it? Well, that's what's in this box, in fact. A couple of things. There are two things here we've been looking at now for quite some time. This is uh, referred to as a roofing tile. Oh, okay. And right. this is referred to over here as window leads. And, uh, okay, I can figure out what both of those are. <laughs> okay. Roofing tile is fairly obvious. Yes. Uh, now, okay, uh, you need to help me here. Were there glass window panes then? There were. And that's what this first object is. That's probably the best place to start. Uh, these are pieces of lead here that go to something we call casement windows, which mm -hmm. is a pretty common style of window in those late 16th, 17th, and even into some early 18th century sites. And over the years, bits and pieces of these little bits of lead have popped up around the foundation. And basically the idea is you have pieces of glass, and those pieces of glass have to be retained by these bits of lead within a larger frame of wood or of, of metal. And uh, back in the 60s, Ivernold Hume, along with his conservator, was working with some of these little bits of lead one day from a broken window they had found on a site. And they were trying to clean it and conserve the lead. And they happened to notice that on this piece of lead, there were actually some numbers and some letters. And right away, they thought, well, that's an odd thing. Why in the world would you have letters and numbers on a piece of lead that makes up a window? And we very quickly started to realize that these were dates. And they were dates most likely when these windows were manufactured. And so it became a dating tool for us in many instances on oh, sites. Oh, okay. Because if I found something that looked like that on the ground, I would just pick it up, see if I could skip it across the <laughs> nearest creek. It means nothing to me. Right. And that's what I said. It's a really plain sort of object. But it also is a perfect example of why we keep everything in archaeology. We don't throw away anything because you never know what something's going to tell you. Mm -hmm. If Ivor Noel Hume had have not kept these things in the past and he and his conservator had have not pursued this, they would have not found out kind of a, a clue for us into the past. Mm -hmm. And so this is one of the ways in which we're trying to find the 17th century sites. We have found that for the most part, 17th century sites have casement windows. They do move a little bit into the 18th century as well. They were still around for some time. But even if these objects don't have dates on them, by their mere presence, 
at least helps us start getting an idea that mm-hmm. maybe something else is going on there other than an 18th century site. It's not a for certain thing, but it gives us a clue. And we wanted to have another object to help us tie it together a little better, and that's where the roofing tiles come in. Okay, roofing, roofing tiles, uh, you would not skip that across the creek because it's too no. big and it's heavy. That's quite big and quite heavy. Yeah. So this is off a, uh, a roof prior to 1699, maybe. This is, yes. This one actually comes from a roof from, uh, I believe it was 1662. Oh, okay. So we know when this roof is. Yes. Uh, I don't know if you know, but I, I'm curious. Where were these tiles made? This one was actually made here. Oh, okay. And uh, as a little sidebar to some of the research that we've done, for most of the tiles that we've come across in the foundation, we've actually done a fair amount of research on them with x-rays where you can actually look at the the core of the Mm -hmm. material and actually how it's constructed and what's in it, as well as to acid testing where we test for 12 different variables in it to see if we can match it up to different sites. And in fact, we know there was a local maker who was making roofing tiles of this and distributing them throughout Middle Plantation, even out to Jamestown. Uh, So that listening to this, you won't be completely lost. It's uh, a roof tile that's shaped somewhat, uh, is red in color, made of clay, I should suspect. Clay. Refer to as a pan tile. And they overlap each other on the roof. I would guess 15 to 16 inches long. Thereabouts, yes. Maybe. That's the standard size. Eight, nine inches wide. And heavy. Quite heavy. it's, It's, you don't just, I would imagine if you were working all day laying these on a roof, you would be exhausted by the end of the day. Most likely. And it brings up a good point, too, because you wouldn't be able to put something this heavy with as many as it would require to cover your roof on an insubstantial structure. And oh, in, the yeah. middle, in the middle plantation period, we were talking about many of these structures being post and ground, but there were also brick for some of these larger plantations that were popping up. And there's a question as to why they were doing that. It would be someone who would have the funds to be able to make these or purchase these and put them on their house. It would also have to be a substantial house that could bear yeah. the, the weight of that. And it could also be viewed as a statement, a statement that someone has moved to this area and they're here. They are permanently here. They're displaying their wealth and they're displaying... Uh, a view of Middle Plantation, that it's becoming something of a mover and a shaker I've, in the I've area. I've moved here and I'm important, therefore this place is important. Precisely. Oh, I like that. Precisely. I, I love displays of ego. <laughs> I think it's such fun. <laughs> and it's, in a way, it's nice to know that people back there had the same sort of egos. How many of these have you found that you could sort of reasonably say there must have been six roofs that had roofing tiles? Right. We found a number of sites, actually, throughout the historic areas, uh, over six sites at least, actually, that have had these roofs on them. And we have found close to a dozen sites, at least now, where we have a combination of the leads and the tiles found together on a site. And the thing to think about is we, we went into this project originally having an idea where we thought there might be 17th century sites. We had documentation. We maybe had some drawings or maps. We weren't quite certain. And so we were hoping that if we had some kind of artifact markers or identifiers to be looking for in different areas when we're excavating, that maybe if we found those together, that would at least give us an idea of where new sites might be that we've not yet excavated 
or sites that we didn't realize were potential 17th century before, but in fact maybe they are, and we should be looking at them a little differently as well. Boy, that's going to keep you busy for years. Absolutely. That's Colonial Williamsburg, past and present this time. Check history.org often. We'll post more for you to download and hear.